Welcome to Crushgasm, the podcast that's been dedicated to bringing you the highs and lows of crushes, but we're shaking things up for the next couple of months to crush on a whole decade. Yep, we're talking all things 90s by breaking it down year by year with some familiar faces. Well, voices, like today's guest, Steve G, the host of Over the Culture and one half of the wonderful team behind Happen in the 90s, who is here to talk about the year that first took us behind the music, 1997. Steve, how are you? (laughs) What's up, everybody? I'm your bastard of ceremonies, the one gig kid, Pat Stay Black, Alex Treblack, Reefer Sutherland, Luke Flying Tonker, the most interesting blurred in podcasting, the troller of trolls, the prince of petty, the macho Mandalorian, Steve G. Wow. <laughs> and I'm Kendra. <laughs> that was it's quite January. the number. Whoa. So before we get into everything, can you tell people where they could find Over the Culture and Happen in the 90s online? You can catch both over the culture and happen in the 90s on just about all streams uh we got spotify uh i pod apple podcast google podcast anyone's podcast um yeah and then happen in the 90s we got that on video we have that on youtube and um we have uh facebook the facebook has been doing numbers so check out happen in the 90s facebook and the merch um, on Redbubble. and the merch on Redbubble. yeah we just the, opened that up in December. The sweater, I wear masks all the time and it's so comfortable. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Nice fabric. Yeah, mm-hmm. it feels good on the skin. It's a good one. It's a good one. So 1997, that's the year you're going to be talking about. I was in about the fifth grade. I was deep into Spice Girls, crushing on a boy named Kalen. Where were you? What were you up to? <laughs> uh, it, 97, man. We are ending our, our middle school tenure and, and we're heading into high school. Uh, me and Matthew, uh, we were, were I, as you know, we were in the same grade, and uh, '97 was a good time. It, it was a, a good turning point for uh, wrestling, um, for for both factors, WCW and WWF. We were really heading into the genesis of the Attitude Era. Uh, the greatest album, greatest hip hop album, in my opinion, of all time, dropped that summer. The beginning of that summer it was a uh, wu-tang clan's double album wu-tang forever that was awesome um and then just months before that uh notorious big drops his posthumous double album life after death um considered by a lot of people be one of the greatest double albums in all of music this is the jiggy era which i'm not fond of everybody's <laughs> shiny and pretty and like yeah um that had that had a short shelf life for me I, but, uh, yeah, like yeah. the early 90s was still, I always say like 90, 91, still kind of an overflow of the 80s. 92, I feel like we really kickstarted what the 90s was about. And then that until about mid 90s, you had the grunge eras, very like alternative. Yeah, but the end of the uh, 90s, it was shiny, it was sparkly, definitely setting up for what the aughts were going to be about. For sure. But yeah. what, what made that Wu-Ting album like kind of your moment for 1997? Because I was listening to Triumph from that. And for mm-hmm. me, it kind of just felt like not preachy, like you're going to church, but it felt like they delivered just these wonderful stories. Like, I just want to hear them tell stories kind of like um, that Odyssey 
like that long, very Iliad, whatever, like just like that. I don't know. That's how that's kind of how I look at that album. Um, there was a uh, one song that Ghostface Killer he got verse of the year for that song, and uh, I can't remember the name of it, but it, it starts off with uh call the ambulance jb's been shot where the kimmy don't go i mean and he's just going off into this whole backstory of how him and jamie met back in in grade school and now his, his man's been shot and his mom's there at the hospital and it's just so and i remember listening to this at 14 and it was like it was so intense uh and, and it, like it made me like like praise Ghostface, like that was the beginning of my praise of Ghostface because I, I was always a fan of Wu Tang, but it was like, no, nah, Ghostface, he might be like the best. He might be the best in the group. Mm. Yeah, because they're what nine members. Uh, nine original members, and um, they are like the hip hop Mudo. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I look at them as a uh, hip hop X Men. With RZA is Professor X, you know, he's the one that like, this is his brainchild. He put all these parts together and um, everybody had well representation in there. And like, I think, I believe ODB was locked up at the time of release, if I'm not mistaken, or, or around this time. Um, but still, they had enough verses and enough like sound bites from him to, to have him, you know, have a have a presence on that album i like that idea of the hip-hop x-men you said one of them was professor x do you have any idea what the other eight would have been who they would have been i feel like method man is he's either gambit or wolverine because he was the at the forefront i, I probably have to say wolverine because like he was the one that was put out there early you know he was being seen in like you know various uh pop cultural uh in movies he was, was like in, the like, face. He was the face. He was the Mickey Mouse of the franchise. Um, I would probably say Ghostface is Gambit um, because even though he fucks with the crew, he always kind of had his own thing. Like, man, I'm I want to be great. And like, you know, just like Gambit had the cards just popping out of nowhere. Like Ghostface has just like jewelry. Like he had like a, I never forget. He had like a, a eagle bracelet, like a big ass fucking eagle just popped on top of his wrist. And I was like, dude, that looks uncomfortable. So it's like Gambit has the cards. Ghostface has the crazy ass outlandish fucking jewelry popping out of his wrist. The genius is the beast because the ge the genius or Jizza slash genius, uh, he actually has like a PhD in like astrophysics or some crazy shit. And the beast, you know, he was a, like he was a super intelligent dude, too. And Jizza, he's a beast with the lyrics um like his wordplay and how he stacks rhymes i find that stuff like so profound who else we got odb oh man <laughs> ODB. wild card <laughs> that that's definitely a wild card um it's like one of those characters maybe one in the one in the animated series but definitely in the comics maybe <laughs> Nightcrawler, maybe. Oh, that's a good one. You got you got would probably be like um Colossus or I'm trying to think of Wolverine's main nemesis. I don't know why I'm drawing a blank. Man, who else we got? I mean, you know the members. <laughs> yeah. Kind of name the ones I already know. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm kind of dancing around them too because you know I'm I'm going off of the the cartoon from back in the day. And uh, like the first couple movies, the Marvel movies. Yeah. 
Well, I think we got a good good start. I like Method Man being Wolverine. We got some Gambit, Nightcrawler, Beast. It definitely hit some powerhouse X-Men characters. But I do like them being the hip-hop X-Men. That's a good way to put it. So we're going to keep with the tradition around here. We've been doing this every episode talking about the people's sexiest man and most beautiful people of the year because that's what I talk about on the show. Can you take a guess of who those were in 1997? I'll give you a hint. Both men. Because sometimes most beautiful is a woman, so I'll give you a hint. Oh, they don't even break it down. Like they don't like it's like the guys and the girls and uh, just... most beautiful encompasses everyone. The... And then obviously yeah. sexiest man. Oh, this is... is this is the prettiest motherfucker of everybody. Damn, yeah, I didn't know they were doing it year. like that. Like <laughs> damn, you like <laughs> and and it with both guys. Both guys that well obviously yeah, sexiest. Like, damn. <laughs> but yeah, damn, y'all found somebody prettier than Pamela Lee at the time. Like did like no, this guy is prettier <laughs> than her. Like no man, that's I cut I call cap. Um, this man was prettier than Jenny McCarthy. Bullshit. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, I'm guessing uh, George Clooney was probably one of them. Ding ding ding! <laughs> he was the sexiest man that year, and the most beautiful person was Tom Cruise. <laughs> wow! Oh, we were still that corny as a country. Yeah, and uh, for me, I up until a few weeks ago, I'd only seen one Tom Cruise movie, and that's The Outsiders. And then I Same. saw Maverick, and that was one too many. I do not like. I I think I just don't like Tom Cruise as an actor. Thank you. He's like he's not that great, people. Like I, I really feel like okay, he's um he, he's the Madonna of acting of male I actors. Like <laughs> I, I like Madonna too, but like in, to me, she peaked in the '80s. Like she'll never, I, I, like in the yeah, like I we did an episode with Jason Hendrickson, and he had his icon crush, which was Janet, and we talked about would you want her to release new music, and it's like no, because she's gonna try to sound like what is now, and she did so well, you know, in her time, and that's what's great. She never has to release anything new, unlike Madonna, who keeps trying to stay relevant. When it's like, girl, you could just play the hits forever. Like you're good, like man, like it. it I'm not going to say her whole career took a downward slope because she did get some appraise for playing Evita. Uh, I think that came out in '97, '96 or '97, and she got like I, I believe she won the Golden Globe. Um, she might have been nominated for the Oscar that year, but she did her thing in another realm. We're talking music. Um, After and yeah. Frozen. And then uh, like Tom Cruise, like I, I really feel like we're still living off the hype of Top Gun one. Risky business, uh, the outsiders, like, and him being the pretty boy of the 80s. Like, in the night, like, 90s Tom Cruise is kind of douchey to me. And then it's just like, it got douchier and douchier. Yeah, it doesn't do it for me. Also, George Clooney is someone who I recognize as attractive, but again, he doesn't do it for me. I, I mean, hmm. really? Yeah. Uh, you I've know what it is? He, hmm. he took the baton from Sean Connery as far as like the, the white, rugged, uh, good look <laughs> man. Uh, you know, I like I might have a, a role where I'm unshaven. You got the five o'clock shadow and he and he can rock a good five o'clock shadow. And so he kind of took that lane after, you know, Sean because Con- Sean Connery, he was still on those lists from what I remember <laughs> as the older rugged man. Yeah, and, uh, he's what our grandmas liked at the time. At that part. <laughs> and then George Clooney was our moms and. I think Gen X was Tom Cruise and probably somebody, I don't know about oh, Zac Efron. 
awesome. It's, nah, it's always a heart yeah, Tom Cruise didn't play the rugged though. He he's just pretty. Motherfucker was just like he was uh nice teeth with the stone jaw. Well, his teeth is like his uh, gap in the front's off to the side and it's so weird. His two front teeth, it's it's crooked. Once you see it, you can't unsee it in a smile. Man, it's those uh, L. Ron Hubbard practices that are uh, <laughs> unspeakable. Shh, we don't mention that here. They'll get us and make us disappear like that guy's wife. <laughs> you're safe though you're not in cali yeah (laughs) now i can't go back ever but so i think we can't talk about 1997 without mentioning the death of princess diana it was worldwide news i remember this happened in fifth grade right about the start of the school year and this girl in my class was like bawling and i had no idea who this woman was because when they got married in the 80s i was probably a baby or not alive yet so i was like who is this woman why are you crying did you you know her personally but what i remember most was like those commemorative plates they put her on and i yeah. thought like well in the 90s like adults love these plates they had plates for everything but i think today it's like funko pops and i have some but i only have the ones like of characters or actors or whatever that i like there's that people that just with. get them that they're like the beanie babies of today and princess diana definitely had a beanie baby it was the purple bear with the little white flower do you think mm. that if she had passed away more recently that funko would have like put out this like commemorative princess diana funko pop oh like i'm i wouldn't be remit i wouldn't be surprised if they didn't do it now yeah <laughs> if, if there if there already is one because she's that big of a deal she was that big of a deal like you know when that happened like it was it hit the world you know that just wasn't some like regional stuff because like i I feel like the world resonated with her you know she she was a woman of the people and i mean people speculate still to this day like that's probably what got her clap Mm -hmm. um like you know she was she was she was advised to not be so like otherworldly and like you know being serviceable and hospitable which i think is a regal thing well they call her the people's princess for a reason exactly and you know that girl in my class she was really upset but not as upset as sir elton john who went on to release candle in the wind and it was number one that year um it's a hit song that i'm familiar with but i don't know all the words um but this kind of became like a symbol at funerals. It was a big funeral song back in the day. Uh, do you have like a favorite go-to sad song in that regard? Um, in that regard, man, uh, well, depending on who it is, uh, but when my grandma passed, uh, me and my mom, we played the song uh, Mama um, by Boys to Men. Because uh, that, that is our mama. Um, and yeah, that, that one really hit. And then uh, a couple of years later, when my great grandmother passed, you know, I, I listened to it. So that that's one. So you never put on the number three song of 97, which was Puff Daddy and Company, I'll Be Missing You. No. No, that no, wasn't man, a favorite. I, Are you not? I, I, I wasn't I wasn't crazy about it. Like, you know, he, he he's a phoned in artist. <laughs> and that, that album is a phoned in album. Um, you know, you got this machine behind you, a.k.a. the Hitman and the hitmen they made great tracks they were samplers just like that diana ross sample that they did on that album and um you know it 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 served its purpose like puffy's in this thing to make money and in like those tracks they're 
methodical, I felt. As you see in this song, obviously it came, it was spawned by the death of Biggie Smalls, and we already talked about Wu-Tang. So you were in Ohio back in the days, and we had this big East Coast versus West Coast, but being in Ohio, did you feel pressure to pick a coast in or in that battle? Or were you like, I'm in the Midwest? <laughs> yeah, not at all. Like, who who has dope music? Because I was a huge Snoop head, and, but like I said before, I, I was big into Wu-Tang and Biggie. I like Pac and Biggie. Um, you know, I liked LL Cool J, so it didn't make a difference to me. Um, and as we know now, this was all put together by the media mm-hmm. because there were artists like, you know, Method Man and Red Man have a song with Tupac on All Eyes on Me. So it, it depended on if the artist was buying into that or not. And there were artists who weren't. They were like, no, nah, dude, I still fuck with Cuz over here in Los Angeles. Matter of fact, I got a flight tomorrow to record with them. So it was all big propaganda, East versus West. Totally. It was a hype machine. I get that. I get that. And on the total opposite spectrum of the music in 97, um, we got the story of the singer-songwriter that lived out of her van, and that is Jewel. It's kind of like the thing she's known for. And she really helped push that like Lilith Fair sound. Um, which kicked off that in 97 and I've personally always hoped that this festival would come back around as the little feminist as I am do you think we'll ever get that like all female singer songwriter kind of thing again or is that music kind of dead in the water I for not for the foreseeable future saying it's dead in the water I'm not saying it's like completely gone and it won't have a fan base but uh, that would be more successful if they were rapping that's what I think. I think if they like took it and rebranded it and you got maybe like a Lizzo, a Meg uh, Megan Stallion kind of opened it up to a more mainstream, they could definitely SZA. bring it out. SZA, like her. Mm-hmm. They could definitely bring back a Lilith Fair esque, but they would have to branch out of the genre. I think Paramore would be good to put on it. Black people love Paramore. <laughs> oh yeah, well hey, I didn't get that memo. Oh, um, yeah. Like, I went to the show in Ohio, and it was the most black people I've ever seen at a Paramore show. And I've seen them in L.A. a bunch. I was like, my people, hey. Yeah. I will say Scissor's last album, man, she is, uh, I mean, this might sound far-fetched, but by the end of her career, she could be on a lot of people's Mount Rushmore because oh. she's got her own style. Her Like, she, she stays in her own lane. Like, her her sound is not replicated. She's got her own vibe. Um, as the kids say, it's it's vibes. <laughs> I fucks with SZA. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I, of course I appreciate the uh, Wu-Tang-influenced stage name, the SZA. I, I really thought she was, like, attached to those guys. Um, but come to find out, she's just a fan. Mm. And I find that dope. Yeah, when she, I think, I didn't know who she was until they used one of her songs on Insecure, and I immediately was, like, trying to remember the lyrics. I could Google it, and then I was a fan from that point on. I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. <laughs> but It just I, takes you to a place. It's She's so good, so good. I wish I could have seen her live, but maybe this next tour. But I think also if they wanted to just make a quick buck for a Lilith Fair type thing, they would just get the Spice Girls to reunite and do it. Because <laughs> like I said earlier, 1997, I was deep into the Spice Girls. My mom, the, like, the day I had a fifth grade field trip, um, the camera, the Polaroid came out and my mom had it waiting for me on my bed. It's one of the old, 
like I had a top girl. She made me toss that, but I still have the Polaroid. <laughs> and I mean, that movie even came out. Spice World. I solid. remember that. Oh, Is that so the same good. year in 1997? Yeah, it dropped like, here yeah. in, in the U.S. then. And it was just a very silly movie. And for me, it still stands up. And that's what the 90s were about for me. It was about taking yeah. risks on these silly movies. And even though I don't like Austin Powers, that was another <laughs> silly movie that I think was a hit. And again, I hate this movie. It's one of the things in the 90s I don't like. But do you remember being a fan of Austin Powers and like the impact it had? Um, I wasn't like super crazy about it. Um, I I like Mark My blah, blah, blah. I like Mike Myers, but um, I wasn't going around like you know saying yeah, lines baby. from the movie. <laughs> yeah, there were other shit that was popping. I I would probably be more apt to like recite like Monday Night Raw lines or some shit. Um, but yeah, yeah. Awesome Powers. It, it he did his thing, man. Um. But the, I remember Spice Girls when they came to America, it, like they came full force, and it was, um, it was a whole movement. And I didn't really care for the music; um, it was poppy, and I was into like rap and shit. But like the chicks were hot. I do remember that. <laughs> yeah, and that movie was great. It was cheap in the best sort of way too. Like their the budget was probably like five dollars. We'll be real. But another movie that came out that year that was a little while. I actually didn't see it until this year, the last couple months. And that was Liar Liar. And no one in the 90s could touch Jim Carrey. But I think the premise of this movie, it was a little crazy for me. Uh, Where would you rank Liar Liar, though, um, among Jim Carrey's like hit movies of the 90s? Uh, It's probably, let me see, of the 90s. It's either four or five because the main three have to be first, you know, Mass, Dumb and Dumber, Ace. Um, I do believe it's better than Ace Ventura 2, so I, I probably um, put it four and then Ed TV. Uh, or, no, not Ed TV. It was um, <laughs> uh, Truman Show. <laughs> Truman Show, Jesus. It was kind of the same premise as Ed TV, but yeah, Truman Show. Truman Show was probably at five. Well, I would say, well, Truman Show is one of my favorite movies. I love Ace Ventura too. I think it's better than the first for me. And I, I don't think the mask holds up for me, for me. I uh, like, and I can, I can't with the Cable Guy. That movie just like, I don't know. There's something it crawl. It makes my skin oh, crawl. Fuck! <laughs> I forgot about Cable Guy. How dare I? Liar, liar! Oh damn. Liar Liar is funny, but I just the premise of like this poor kid having to use his birthday wish to make his dad not lie. I was little, I was like, dang, this is kind of like dark, kind of sad. <laughs> yeah, I remember seeing this in the theater, and like I don't know, like it, it's just it, it, it's pretty cheesy. Like the, the whole like I want my dad to spend more time with me. Like, dude, he has to lie. Like, so you could get them nice toys on Christmas. Mm-hmm. That's his job. He's a lawyer. I know. Grow up, kid. Like, lawyers are, for the most part, bad people. <laughs> They're not the best. Because how many politicians have law degrees? Bum, bum. Man, morals out the window. <laughs> I think that's a class. Mm-hmm. I always am like, geez, yeah, I want to know. But then again, I don't think law school's that hard if Rudy Giuliani passed the bar. So. Man. 
<laughs> so speaking of ranking, we did Jim Carrey's movies a bit, but in 1997, we had some of the biggest and blackest movies come out. We had Booty Call, Baps, Good Burger, Amistad, and Jackie Brown. Where would you like rate those in blackity black? <laughs> um, Amistad is pretty black it's for black obvious history. reasons. Yeah, um, that's that's blackity black. I feel like Jackie Brown is blackity black too because of like they let Samuel Jackson say the N word around white people and that's pretty black. And like, I mean, they let Sam, that was Samuel Jackson at his most like, can I say the word on here? I don't know. Like, you say no, it no, we, we, we steer away. All right, I respect it. That was him at his like most N wordness in all of um, Samuel L. Jackson movies. It's blackity black. Good burger. I mean, it's Nickelodeon, so that's like medium black. Like they, <laughs> we, there, there's like a limit. Like, and I love Nickelodeon, uh, gang gang, but like they, you know, it's Nickelodeon. They got to put a limit on it. Um, but Shaq was in it. Let me see. What were the other ones? Oh, Baps. That's man. That's that's ratchet as hell. So good. <laughs> I mean, yeah. You you don't catch Halle Berry in that light too often. Um, and then booty call. Uh, yeah, that's black. Yeah, and Jackie Brown, one of uh, I think a shared favorite movie of ours. So good. I actually never seen it until I started dating Matt, and now it's one of my favorites too. So I allowed him to oh, have yeah. the poster in our house. <laughs> man, my dad took me out to see that. Um, I never forget, man. Uh, that was cool, and uh, I think that was the first Quentin Tarantino movie I saw in the theater. And you were about middle school, so that seems okay. I was thinking, like, you were my no, age. I was, I was like, mm. by, No, by that time, I was. this was freshman year, mm-hmm. um, because I believe Jackie Brown came out Christmas of 97. Oh. So we were on Christmas break my freshman year, yeah. So a movie I didn't include, but it was it was pretty black at, for the time because it had Will Smith, but that was Men in Black, and it was only outdone at the box office by two other movies that year. But, like, this movie, I still think it's, pretty much holds up um and that's in part to the song that will smith did for it and i feel like soundtracks they're just not as appreciated as they once were only that song and that one from um it's that song from black panther that SZA we talked about her made and i I don't know like i don't feel like people are making whole soundtracks they just might make like the big song like i think adele did one for like a james bond movie i think lady gaga for maverick but not full soundtracks do you kind of like miss that about movies um i do because that was a part of the package like that that kind of made you want to give a damn more about the movie what like do you know what the greatest like the highest selling soundtrack of all time is i think it's about it's gonna be in the next movie we talk about titanic nah. no bodyguard oh, okay yeah and the movie itself wasn't even great but the soundtrack was so great i think it like made the movie more important than what it was yeah i mean you have whitney in it that's why i love the waiting to exhale soundtrack as well oh my another gosh. one Shoop. perfection Shoop. <laughs> But yeah, like Titanic, I said, I thought that was going to be it. It sold a ton. And really, Celine Dion was the only one on there with a song with lyrics. The rest was like a musical score. And I remember having that in like fifth grade and being like, okay, the rest of this is stupid. But at least I have this <laughs> Titanic song. But I understand you've never seen Titanic, right? Yeah, don't care to. It's kind of like going to Florida. 
Like I made it this far. Like I, I cool going the rest of my life, never experience it. Like I kind of know how it's gonna go. <laughs> the ending's pretty much written on the in the cards already. For it doesn't gonna surprise you with anything new. Like the ship yeah. doesn't sink. Yeah, would that be a twist? We're gonna drown, and I'm gonna encounter too many people from Florida. That's how I felt about Boogie Nights, but. Matt, your co-host, my guy, made me watch it. I didn't get why this movie was so beloved by him and his friends like you. What uh, What is it about yeah. Boogie Nights? Well, we were adolescents, for one. Um, <laughs> and it's a movie about porno. So it came out at the right time for us uh, young hard-ons. And um, it, it's another uh, gateway to titties. Um, <laughs> it totally was. I mean, it... it of course, uh, it, it allowed us to see Marky Mark in, an, in a different light. Like, he, he did well. He acted well in his role as uh, Dirk Diggler. Um, he was convincing. Um, you know, he played the young, naive startup. And then when he, he got at the top of the game, he was getting, you know, an ego. And, uh, you know, he started doing some of that booger sugar. He started, you know, just thinking he was king dangling around, around the porno streets in L.A. back in the day. Um, and then uh, who's the guy from Step Brothers? He's hilarious in the movie. Um, J- uh, John C. Riley. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, Burt Reynolds. Uh, he played a convincing, like swarmy, uh, porn di- director slash producer, or whatever. Uh, and some of the lines. Oh my goodness, <laughs> they're just like timeless. Maybe it's one of those. Hurt? One of those had to be there type of movies. I was like, this is not my cup of tea, Matt. But, you know, you like what you like. But you mentioned the adolescence part. And I think that is a big reason why South Park did so well when it came out that year. It definitely helped. Like, I feel like it defined not like our personality and like what we liked about comedy for a generation. Uh, Totally. Like, and you're not much older than me, so like you were in, you said ninth grade at the time. Were you allowed to watch this without any issues? Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. Like uh, we, the thing was though, we didn't have cable when South Park first came out. But yeah, like it was cool. I yeah, I, I could watch that, and uh, I feel like our demographic really like got behind that. Yeah, I remember. Uh, yeah, it was fifth grade, and. I think it was Starvin' Marvin was the first episode that my family ever had and we were playing cards, it was on the TV and my mom, me and my little brother just were cracking up, we thought it was so (laughs) funny it became a show that we watched it was as family friendly to us as like The Simpsons or like In Living Color, that's like, it was definitely right up our alley, so I loved it from the start, but is there any like South Park character you've related to over the years the most? Cartman, for sure (laughs) Like we all know a Cartman, we we knew of a Cartman growing up, and like you know, you just like there were times when you're like, why am I hanging out with this motherfucker? <laughs> it, but like he would be around. He's just like, he's so bad, but he's one of those like. Have you watched The Boys? I'm prime. No, I never got into it. Okay, so it's like he's kind of like the anti-hero. He's like the Tony Soprano, the Walter White. You he's a bad person but at the same time you love him because he's so good at being bad exactly and this was the time of the anti-hero i've said this countless times um 
like the late 90s we're starting to like get behind these kind of people the the eric cartmans the tony sopranos the uh, stone cold steve austins um you know it's it's fun sometimes to do bad things it was a little rebellious at the end of the the decade i always was uh, i'm a kyle fan through and through because he was always the one to question cartman and be like guys this guy's this guy's horrible (laughs) i always loved a kyle i mean their their dynamic between each other is it's epic and shout out to Mr. Hankey's wife, Autumn, who is my favorite side character, that drunken piece of poop. Oh, I love her. Thank you. Thank you for bringing that up because Mr. Hankey, that was like in the pantheon of funniest things Steve G's ever seen on television. <laughs> uh, it's definitely up like that first time I saw that episode of Mr. Hankey. Oh, my. I played that back so many times because our, our rich friend, Devin. Uh, me and Matt were friends with him. Uh, he, of course, had cable, and he would have them taped those early episodes the, uh, from the first season. Um, and he would give them to me, like, "Hey, man, check this out." And I just lost my shit. It's so no funny, like, <laughs> not just Santa Claus, not Rudolph. You know, we got Mr. Hanky into the lexicon of classic Christmas characters, and we have South Park to thank for that. <laughs> thank you, Trey. Thank you, Matt. <laughs> two of my my beloves like i i love them so much but it's interesting south park wasn't the only animated show to premiere that year that millennials kind of latched onto and created a whole personalities around we also got yeah. daria and beavis and butthead ended in 97 but that's yeah. where thankfully we got daria from but were you convinced back in the day that daria was voiced by janine garofalo i totally was <laughs> yeah it's like totally. the rumor <laughs> Actually, I mean, it's the. I was gonna say, actually, the woman who went on to voice Daria, we talked about this in a previous episode. She was on the OG season of The Real World that never aired. MTV calls it Real World Season Zero, so that's where she came from. Oh, I did not even know that was a thing. Mm -hmm. And Daria, she painted this like a picture of high school, and I feel that it pretty much captured what it was like in the 90s, which you went to high school during the latter half of the uh, decade into the early 2000s. What would you say Daria got the most right about high school? She nailed it. Um, I, You know, she had all of the different demographics represented on there. She had the jock. She had the uh, the flighty blonde. She had her. I mean, she, like, I and from my high school experience, I was hanging out with the Darias, the the cynical uh, Darlene Connors of of the high school population. Um, you know, like I at the beginning, and I will admit, I, I was a jock. I I hung out with those those meathead dudes, and but for me, it was sophomore year when I had a turning point. It's like you know what, like these people smoke menthol cigarettes in the restroom are actually cooler than these people I go to practice and and hang out with on the weekends. Uh, these guys have no fucking personality. Um, so yeah, like these other people are interesting. The people who skip class from time to time and, you know, skateboard, they're not so bad. Isn't like, I feel like back then jocks were very going to live in their hometown forever and always go to a Friday night game. That was kind of their personality. Like they're very into school spirit, hometown spirit. And it's very weird to me because school spirit, one of my top 10 pet peeves. I hate spirit. I fucks with that. It was corny. You just like, there was a, 
it's different for some people some people come into high school like that like for me it was like i was 15 and it just like this this is whack this, <laughs> this is what like friday nights like no this is corny as hell i just can't i can't so um darwin south park at the time it felt like fresh and new and alongside beavis and butthead a few other shows a few of the shows like Martin and Roseanne Married with Children kind of said goodbye that year and I think shows like Raising Hope and Malcolm in the Middle definitely filled that like little dysfunctional family hole that was in our hearts but you know it's hard to find a show like Martin Martin was just this like one of a kind gym and I think UPN definitely helped give us like a lot of great black sitcoms but for me none of them quite lived up to Martin Brel tried I'll give him his credit. Marlon Wayans came very close with Marlon. It only got two seasons, but the dynamic of the characters were very much like Martin and his friends, and the physical comedy was there. But why do you think, like, Martin is kind of this diamond in the rough, never never replicated quite right show? Everything was organic. Like, I think like it was the first time for some of those people acting like the guy who played the uh, Nipsey the bartender that was just one of Martin's homeboys hmm. and I mean it didn't re- he wasn't required to have a lot of lines um but it, it was it was just like fresh ideas like the one of the funniest skits or one of the funniest episodes is uh when they thought like Martin thought someone stole a CD player and yeah. <laughs> like there's this scene you know it's an infamous scene where he's replicating the new jack city scene and uh martin asked the the set producer the set designer whoever the, whoever's in charge the prop guy he asked him for a real dog <laughs> but they gave him that stuffed dog and so but he just rolled with it and i feel like that right there like that made it even funnier than if mm-hmm. it was a real dog because he's dragging this little <laughs> dog it's stuffed and he's just dropping it and then like there's a part where he like he runs up in tommy's face and he lets the dog down and he hops over the dog and he starts barking and he turns around he's like no no shit shit and the dog's just laying there just, <laughs> and then he runs back to tom like it's stuff like that that made martin so great just like being on your toes and like just making the most out of what you got and improvising man the times when they would like almost break character um like the tommy davison episode where he's uh he's varnell jones this this <laughs> famous like uh dj who had the same beginning as martin but he, he went national um and like they're talking at the radio station and he, like both of them are just struggling to save face man you know, Martin, for me, Martin is up there with funniest shows. Just like I feel like I Love Lucy and her physical comedy. I, For yeah. me, Martin's kind of the only one to come close. Like you said with that dog, one of the funniest things to this oh day goodness. for me is that scene. And when people kind of try to do that on TikTok with the fake dog, I'm like, they obviously got it from Martin because it's always black people. And we know that white people don't really mess with black sitcoms. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like Fresh Prince is, a, is an exception to That's that rule, what I feel. Yeah, on um, Masturbators, which I'm part of the I Did Not Make These Rankings podcast network with. Um, So Dre that runs that, he did a sitcom bracket and we try to pick who's going to be in the top four so we could, you know, win. I don't know what we win, but just to see if we're we're good at estimating. And I picked three white sitcoms and then Fresh Prince because I was like, that's the blackest sitcom white people like. (laughs) Yeah, it just has that. uh, I, I, I think NBC being being shown on NBC is probably um 
a big reason um but i don't know they 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 touched lightly on black things they didn't i don't know they didn't go it they didn't go have to go hood they kept it i mean uncle phil he was a, a judge and rich and they were like okay passable and, yeah and you you mentioned the anti-hero and in that you mentioned stone cold and i know you're a big wrestling fan and 1997 a big year for wrestling as we kind of edged into i feel like a new era for the wwe and they had all this other stuff coming out what's kind of like your favorite moments during that time of wrestling i would probably say uh let me see 97 so wrestlemania 13 happened that year and the main event was bret hart versus stone cold and that was the turning point for both of those men because bret hart he was already kind of talking down on america and and whatnot and then stone cold he was supposed to be a bad guy but he was already getting support so at the end of the match uh, Bret Hart's got Stone Cold in his uh, sharpshooter and his finisher and Stone Cold's just not giving up and there's the iconic image of Stone Cold just grinsing in pain and he's got just this huge gash in the middle of his forehead and but like he's just Bret Hart's got him locked in his sharpshooter but Stone Cold's not giving up and throughout this whole time people are starting to chant for Stone Cold and Bret is starting to look like the bad guy so that was like a double turn uh, Brett will become fully healed. Stone Cold is about to be a baby face. And who for 90s wrestlers, so nobody from the, like they could be from the 80s and went into the 90s, but in that decade, who would be your Mount, your Mount Rushmore, the top four that rep, really then, represent 90s wrestling? It would have to be Hogan, both versions, uh, Hulk and Hollywood, because that was huge. I would have to say Stone Cold, Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart like that that's the four um you know and I'm a huge Scott Hall fan I RIP uh he's a big part of the NWO but like if we're talking the most important from the 90s uh that would have to be mine man I mean that's a respectable no I mean who's that one guy ultimate warrior the cocaine riddled man of the world that guy makes me laugh every time you guys have to review uh, wrestling things and that guy's a part of it I'm like this this guy's wild <laughs> he's so funny yeah he, he was like one of one and <laughs> like he had a short reign like he was destined for greatness but like he got in his own way too much <laughs> that cocaine <laughs> that cocaine it's a hell of a beast man and you know vince he saw something in him when vince decides to put the belt around you like he he wants you to be like that dude and, and he he wanted him to be that guy after hogan hogan was supposed to be like all right your your era was in the 80s your time's coming gone but because warrior was such an a-hole vince like you're like, no, dude, we got to get this guy out of here. <laughs> so never mind. <laughs> Record scratch. Yeah. So right now we're going to do some popcorn questions. I have 50, so you're just going to give me five numbers, uh, one through five, or one through 50, and yeah, and they're all 90s. And I, these are actually the ones I came up with for your show, so maybe they'll be familiar. Uh, let's go 17. If you were on the, oh, okay, so at the end of Titanic, you've probably seen the memes, Rose is floating on a door, and Jack's in the water, he wants her to be safe, would you have tried to get on the floating door too, and been like, okay, Biatch, you gotta scoot over? Make some room. Yeah, like, 
we're in the northern Atlantic. It is cold. Scoot over. It's, for real, it's cold as hell. Would you have been like, like I, can, uh, I love you, but we're gonna take turns? Or just yeah, <laughs> yeah. I got left hand. You got right hand. Like, <laughs> all right. Slide to the left. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Next number. Um, let's go thirty-three. Um, were you more into goosebumps or animorphs? Um, I would say goosebumps. Yeah, I never really. I like the covers of Animorphs, but I wasn't a fan of the books. Like they had Goosebumps. Like I like the way they laid out the series. Like you know, I'm big on. Um, I don't know, for lack of a better term, copy and paste. They and so like Goosebumps, they figured out their format early, mm-hmm. and they kind of stuck with it, and it, it worked for me. Yeah, it's like you know, you you know, like if you're looking for a Goosebumps, like you could go straight to it. Like you're looking for that look. And like they can be identifiable. Not yeah, saying Animorphs see. didn't, but like I don't know, Goosebumps just had their own kind of staple. Mm-hmm. All right, next number. Um, twenty-one. Did you ever practice any '90s boy bands dance moves in the mirror? If any, it, it might have been New Kids, because you know <laughs> I think I was seven or something when when Right Stuff came out. Was that that was that '80s? Um, they're 80s, early 90s. I wasn't a big new kids fan, so I don't know their actual, you know, discography or whatever. Yeah, but 80s, and, early and they, 90s. They, and their their time was around hammer time, so I was I was definitely trying to do hammer moves. And, you know, they both had a, a cartoon out. So, yeah, new kids were popping when, when I was a, a little kid. <laughs> and your next number? Uh, let's go 42. Is life really like a box of chocolate? They, they, they are. Uh, if we're talking the assorted variety, you can say that. Is it usually a good thing, not knowing what life's gonna throw uh, at you? It, it, can, it, it, depending on your outlook, it can be scary, um, or it can be adventurous. Yeah, I get that. And I mean, the line comes from one of the best movies of the '90s. So, totally. And your last number. Seven. When you were growing up. Was there a teen show that portrayed high school where you were like, oh, my God, I like that's going to be amazing. Like, I can't Uh-oh. wait to go to high school. Oh, man. Well, you, the obvious answer. Come on. I mean, for, for most people my age, say by the bell. I mean, that's that's the goat of all of this gangster shit. I mean, <laughs> like, no, come on now. Like, I, I, I felt like you could have answered that for me as long as you've been around <laughs> the, our show. Uh yeah, come on, like I that I could not wait. That show had me ripe for high school, <laughs> and um, yeah, like everybody wanted to be Zach or Slater or a combination of both. Nobody wanted to be Screech. Everybody wanted a Kelly in their life, but yeah, you know, everyone wanted a place to go at lunch. Man, a hangout. You know, what I'm saying you always want to outsmart the teachers, outsmart the principal, skip school, catch the Dodger game. Uh, come up with different contraptions on ways to sneak into the girls' locker room, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, safe by the bell. It painted a very cheesy picture, but also kind of this like silly, wacky picture of what high school could be. Also, nine hundred two one zero served. You're like, wow, it's gonna be drama. And it was. It was <laughs> stupid drama. I don't know. My high school was kind of pretty pretty boring if i have to be honest it's kind of like towards the end it was definitely very mean girls (laughs) so 
Before we wrap up, if you were the age you are now, but in 1997, what do you think your life would be like? What would you be doing? Would you still be listening to Wu-Tang? Like, what would be going on? I'd be listening to Wu-Tang. Um, I probably wouldn't be into Limp Biscuit, <laughs> but because of the age I was at that time, I was totally in a Limp Biscuit. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, 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 you know what? I'm sorry, Fred Durst. I totally would have fucked with you, dog. Let me see. Oh, man. Uh, I probably would have went to some of those events because I would have been an adult having a job. I would probably would have saw Stone Cold more. Um, I think I've only seen one paper, one event that Stone Cold was in, which I'm still grateful for. So, yeah, like and, and plus back then and they were having shows at Seagate Center, like house shows and stuff, which I mean, tickets at the Seagate Center in Toledo. I mean, like if you if you were an adult, 39 year old, you know, with a job, full time job. Yeah, you could have done that. <laughs> um, but then again, I, I don't like I wouldn't have been in Toledo probably at the time. So that's another thing I probably would have like, let's say I'm in Atlanta. If I was in Atlanta in the 90s as a 39 year old, I totally would have went to a lot of WCW events because that stuff was based here in Atlanta and uh, they would air on TBS for on Thursdays and they would air on uh, the, the TNT. Uh, that's where they have Nitro. TNT is based out of here. So all the, all the Turner, the Ted Turner stuff. Yeah, I totally, and I probably would have ran into some of those guys because a lot of them lived here. I like how people, um, if you're like 30 something and you can go back to the 90s, I think most men are like, I would have went to wrestling events. <laughs> a lot more is the, is the most common it, answer. <laughs> I love it. See, and man, what I'm noticing is that's like our demographic uh, for happening in the 90s. Like when we post wrestling stuff, oh my God, it does numbers. I post something from a movie, it does modest. Like a music video, it'll be modest. I post a promo, like a, a 30 second promo of like not even like a mid card wrestler, not even a superstar. Man, just about every notification is on that. People, when it comes to WWE and wrestling, I feel like 90s kids go so hard with that, just as hard as oh they do for pogs beanie babies like it's that nostalgia and i feel like for wrestling i think is great for every generation and they're gonna always have their own little capsule of wrestlers but there's something about that 90s wrestling that was beautiful and pure and i don't know and, and the early ones wild wild as hell i'll say that but you know. comical <laughs> it was a very would not pat a lot of that would not pass today but it yeah. was a time and place and that's why the 90s is wonderful so before we go can you remind people where they can find you and all your shows online over the culture is available on spotify apple podcast google Podcasts, and just like happened in the 90s they're available on all streams uh but with happened in the 90s we're available on video as well check us out on youtube check us out on facebook instagram uh we're on tiktok and uh, we just opened up our Redbubble store. Happened in the 90s. Get your T-shirts. Get a, get a shower curtain. Um, get a mouse pad, a coffee mug. Man, we, we have it full throttle available on Redbubble. And um, soon we will have a Patreon for all of those episodes that got scrapped by Al Gore's Internet. So, yeah, with the Patreon account, you can get every episode and then we'll have little packages for that so that's in the works all right a lot going on well steve thank you for taking the time to talk to me about 1997 and everyone you can find all that information below and until next time as always 
keep crushing it.